welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. Well, as my lovely wife said, we are in the middle of a series called Treasure Chest. And the heart behind Treasure Chest is that we would unlock God's financial plan. God is the best financial planner ever and His Word and His instructions come to us free of charge. So you can't get any better than that. What financial planner do you know that does what he does free of charge? Anyone? No, God does. And we're going to look at some of those things today. Um, If you did not hear last week's message, I set this whole series up on a good foundation. Because I believe this series is not so much about money as it is about our heart toward money, our heart toward giving, our heart toward spending, our heart toward saving. You know, the church cops a lot of nonsense when it comes to many things, but none more so than when it comes to money. Uh, Particularly in the area of giving and giving a tenth of your income, this, that and the other. And the church finds itself having to defend itself and I don't believe it should because the actual heart of the matter is that for most parts people are stingy and uh, it's when we have the opportunity to give we find out just how stingy we are and we looked at some things about your attitude toward paying your taxes and your attitude toward paying the bills if you struggle to pay your taxes and if you struggle to pay your bills then you're going to struggle to give and to be generous. And so we looked at that last week. Says did a brilliant job this morning looking at some money matters. So well done to you, Says. Let's put our hands together for him. And so I just want to continue tonight on some things that I've entitled money myths. Money myths. I read recently that if you can't explain something simply, then it's because you don't know it well enough. I believe church presentation of the Word of God should be simple because the preachers have studied the Word of God well enough to present it in a simple way. If some guy gets up here and can't articulate what he's trying to say, he should go back to the drawing board. Amen? And so we never apologise for presenting the Word of God in a simple way because we've worked hard at keeping it simple. You got it? And so we want to continue this series this morning and we've entitled it Money Myths. And the reason we feel to share about money is because we are going into the silly season, the Christmas period, and many wonderful people in this place will spend money on things they don't need for people they don't like. And we want to stop that happening. We want your January and your February to be exciting months, not ones full of dread because of money you spent that you didn't have in the first place. And I believe that there should not be one subject or one area that the church is not prepared to talk about or to go. And uh, we don't apologise for talking about money because we believe it's a subject that needs to be talked about. For those of you who have been put off, burnt or hurt because of the subject of finance and in particular what the church may have done to you in regards to finance, I want to say to you that the answer to abuse is not no use, it's correct use. Okay, So if you've ever been stung or burnt by church or by a business or by a friend, it's because they haven't done the right thing. But that doesn't mean that we should respond by not doing the right thing and not get involved at all. Does that make sense? And so the answer to abuse is not no use, but correct use. Okay. 
Excellent. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Having said all that, we're going to get straight into it this evening and talk about some money myths. Just because a phrase has become popular, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily true. There are many things that we have grown up believing just because we heard it lots. And I want to look at some myths in and around the subject of money and expose the lie behind the myths. I was talking to my son Mitch about this and, and uh, telling him about some of the things I was going to share. And he said, oh, I've got a myth for you. The Mitch, he knows how to save money. That's a bit of a myth. So, um, <laughs> but I don't have that long to preach on that particular one. So we're going to leave that one all alone and you can ask him about that later. All right. But the first myth that I want to look at tonight is this. You got it? You ready for it? You excited? Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm going to learn something tonight. Excellent. Myth number one, that money grows on trees. I am here to tell you categorically, says and others, that money does not grow on trees. I am so sorry to disappoint you. In actual fact, money and the ability to make money was God's idea. Did you know that? It's not like God's looking down from heaven and thinking, what, what is that little bit of paper that they have in there? What, what are those little plastic cards? God created the concept of money. He created the concept of making and earning money. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 17, it says this, You may say to yourselves, My power and my strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirm it in His covenant. It's actually God's idea. The ability to make money. And the origin of money comes from the heart of God, not trees, okay? This notion that God is not concerned about your money is ridiculous. In actual fact, the Bible has a lot to say about money and what to do with it and how to get it. Who would like to know how to get some money? Well, the Bible tells us how to get money. How's this? Here's, here's the first little thing you need to know about getting money, according to the Bible. Get yourself a job! Not my idea, God's idea. Don't you love the Bible? Don't ever tell me that it's boring. Don't ever tell me that it's untrue. And don't ever tell me that it's irrelevant. God's idea for you to make money was stop being so flippin' lazy and get yourself a job. That's my paraphrased version of what it says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 10. It says, For... Even when we were with you, this is Paul speaking. Even when we were with you, we gave you this rule. If a man doesn't work, he's not going to eat. Get yourself a job. If you're unemployed, God bless you. We love you. But get yourself a job. And if you can't get yourself a job, volunteer your time. Let me tell you by a job. I mean something that's at least 40 hours. This notion that you work five hours, that's not a job, that's a hobby. And so if you can't get a job because of the economic climate or because of some of your certain realities, that's fine. But I think you should at least be donating the amount of time that you would if you had a job. 
So if a job's about 40 hours, give or take, maybe 38 point whatever it is, hours, then volunteer that amount of time in the week. And it's amazing what doors will open up to you. Because I know for me, I don't want to employ anyone who's unemployed. You know, when Jesus called people, He called them out of their success. Jesus didn't see guys that were doing nothing and say, hey, buddy, come follow me. No, no, He he called fishermen who were busy at work and making lots of money and uh, fixing their nets. And He looks at these guys and said, man, if they're good at catching fish, I reckon they'll be good at catching men. Hey, boys, come here. Follow me. We're going to catch men. You're used to catching fish. We're going to catch ourselves some people. Paul, who was one of the uh, most, um, the biggest writer of the New Testament, he was zealous. He was passionate. He was knowledgeable. He was successful in what he was doing. And God says, Oh, I can use this guy. Oh, right now he's destroying the church. He's putting a few Christians to death, but that's okay. We can use a successful guy like that. Get yourself a job. Not my words, the Bible. Money's not going to grow on trees. Stop watering trees. No money's coming your way. The Bible has lots to say about working hard. It talks about how to treat your boss. In particular, when your boss is not watching, the Bible talks about that. It talks about not stealing some of you work and you think, when the boss isn't watching, you grab his envelopes, you grab his... Uh, um, do we even have envelopes these days? Or is it all email? And we're on the internet using up all his broadband. That's fine if you've been given permission. But if you haven't, you're stealing. The Bible says don't steal. It says pay your taxes. And so if, if you want to know where money comes from, it actually comes from God. It's God's idea and it's God's heart. And what I love about the Bible is just how practical it is. Get yourself a job. Number two. <laughs> or myth number two. It's my money so I can do what I like with it. Uh, the truth is nothing is really ours. In Psalm 24 verse 1, it says the Lord, sorry, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. How do you get over, under or around that one? Let me ask you this. Is there anyone here who's not on this earth? Anybody? Well, the Bible says the earth belongs to God. And I think he can lay claim to that because he brought it into existence. And everything in it belongs to God. That means our kids, our homes, our cars, our possessions, our money. It all belongs to God. And if you understand that, then you begin to understand the principle of stewardship. That nothing is actually ours, but it's been given to us for a purpose, and that is to steward well. Because it all belongs to God. Let me explain it this way. Our kids, we have three of them, and they all have their own bedroom. It's their bedrooms, but they don't own it. We own the house. But we've given them a little jurisdiction to look after and to steward well, and to clean. And, 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 and because of levels of faith, 
that I have for my kids. One of my kids, it's just immaculate and it's fantastic and it's awesome and I just, just whatever. Another one of my kids, it's kind of like my, my faith levels. Uh, if you can find anything within half an hour, I'll be really happy. And then it gets worse after that. Do you know what I mean when I say it's our home and yet we say to our kids, it's your room? But it's a room that's owned by us. And your money is not actually owned by you. It's been entrusted to you as a test. We entrust things to our kids as a test to see how they respond to see how generous they are, to see how clean they are, to see how appreciative they are. It's all part of the test. And God entrusts certain things to us. And the trust is not to get more than the next person. That's not the test. The test is, will you be faithful with what you have? All we ask as parents is that they appreciate, respect and look after what they've been entrusted with. And I believe that. And let's face it, I'm talking, all the parents know what I'm on about. Where does that come from? It comes from the heart of God. Third myth, that money will make you happy. The truth is, money is an inanimate object. And it doesn't have the power to change a human being. Oh, sure, Money may change the way we live. We may be able to get a bigger home. We may be able to get a flashier car. We may be able to wear designer clothes. But you've got to catch this. Money can't change who you are. It only magnifies what's already in your heart. You've got to catch this. Money doesn't change you. Money magnifies what you already are. And so if you're stingy in your poverty, you'll be stingy in your riches because who you are is coming out. It doesn't have the power to change you per se. Money will magnify what's already in your heart. If you're a worrier and you're worried about the bills and not being able to pay them. If you worry about everything, you know what? The more money you have, it just means more worry. You think for some people that the more money they have now, they wouldn't worry because the thing that they were worried about is not paying their bills. And yet I've seen people with a lot more money and they're just as much a worrier as ever before. And now they're worried about, they don't want to lose their money. They don't want to worry about what they, where, where to put their money. They want to worry about whether they go into stocks and shares. And now the stocks and shares have crashed. And so I'm going to put it into real estate. But now the real estate's not doing that well. And I don't know what to do. And so I'm just as worried as I ever was because the issue was never about money. You've got to catch this. Money won't make you happy. Because happiness is an inside-out job, not an outside-in job. And if you're not happy or content on the inside, no external riches will help. You will just have a bigger house in misery. You'll just have fancier clothes, but be just as miserable. 
You'll have nicer cars, but be just as miserable. Because happiness is an inside job. It starts on the inside. You can't buy happiness. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, said in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. See, I, I, this is true riches. True riches is not owning riches. True riches is being rich whether you've got or whether you haven't. And Paul says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in every and any situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Happiness starts on the inside. And that contentment doesn't come from buying things. Contentment comes with the satisfaction of who you are and whose you are. And Paul was content, not because of what he had or not because of what he didn't have, but because he knew whose he was. And he knew where he'd come from. He knew his purpose in life. And as a result, the Bible tells us that he was content. Money will not buy you happiness. At best, it will just mask your misery. It will suppress your misery. It will keep you busy enough so that you don't have to think about how miserable you really are. I know a lot of people with a lot of money who go from one event to the next event to the next event to the next event to the next event just because it stops them having to think about what really matters in life. No one on their deathbed ever said, I wish I'd spent more time on my business. No one on the deathbed ever said, I wish there was more money in the bank. <laughs> We've been around a lot of people who have lost their lives and gone to be with the Lord. And always and forever, the, the thing the dying person wants more than anything else is people. And when we get on this rat race of money, 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 we walk all over people. And the thing that matters the most. And I hope through this series, we'll get off that rat race if we're on it. And if we're not on it, thank God, and that we'll never get on it. Because money will never make you happy. Number four, financial prosperity is a sign of God's favour. It's a myth. Because financial prosperity is not always a sign of God's favour. Because there's plenty of people that get rich and live totally contrary to God's word. Thieves, there's plenty of thieves that get rich. There are plenty of drug dealers that are far richer than you or I. There are adulterers. There are those that avoid paying their taxes, that are stinking rich. 
Being rich is not a sign that God is blessed and pleased with you. It's wrong to measure God's favour in terms of rich or poor. See, while some argue that prosperity is a sign of God's favour, others would equally argue that poverty is a sign of true spirituality. You've got two extremes in the body of Christ. This prosperity blessing that if you are blessed of God, you will be the head and not the tail. Glory to God. I shouldn't do that because Aussies are just as bad as any Americans I know. But there's this other group that are proud about being poor. I don't know if you've ever seen the Monty Python skit, The Four Yorkshiremen. They're just, they're just boasting about what they didn't have. And, oh, you were lucky, mate. We lived in middle of the road in cardboard box. Well, that's nothing. You were lucky. My dad used to stab me seven times every night. You were lucky. And it's like many Christians are boasting about what they don't have. And they're wearing old clothes and, 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 and old shoes. And they're just as proud and just as loud as the person driving the Lamborghini. They're, they're in their nothingness, they're saying, we're blessed. And the guy driving his Lamborghini is saying, we're blessed. I'm saying, which one is it? <laughs> if I'm going to live on either extreme of madness, I'm going for the Lamborghini, Absolutely. But that's just it. God doesn't judge in terms of poor or rich. It's the wrong measuring stick. When it comes to true riches, God judges not in terms of rich or poor, but in terms of righteous and unrighteous. And the Bible talks about being rich and righteous. Abraham was a man who was righteous before God and he was extremely rich. Amen, glory to God. Blessing of God. It's in the Bible. Riches and blessing. There's many, many stories of riches and blessing. But the issue is one of righteousness. And with that, Abraham pleased God. But we also read of a man by the name of Zacchaeus, who was also rich, but he was unrighteous. And it wasn't until he had an encounter with Jesus. He was that little guy who climbed up the tree. And Jesus sees him and says, I'm going to come into your house and we're going to have a meal today. He says, fantastic. And, and he repents and says, I've been unrighteous and I want to pay back all the people I've robbed. I want to pay them back four times. And Jesus says, oh man, you, now you're getting it. Getting close now. It wasn't the amount that he had or didn't have. It was his heart toward what he had. We also see it's possible to be righteous and still poor. Jesus commended the widow that gave two pennies in the offering because it was all she had. People were looking down and thinking, just two pennies. But in her poverty, she gave, and so she was righteous. It doesn't go on to say that now, as a result of that one act of righteousness, she became rich. We don't know. But it's possible to live in poverty and still be righteous. 
It's possible to live in the favour and the blessing and the abundance of God, but still be poor. You go to Africa, most of them are living in abject poverty, but are more spiritual than you and I put together. It's also possible to be unrighteous and poor. Just because you're poor, it doesn't mean it's the blessing or the favour of God. People are poor for many reasons. Some people are poor because they drink and they gamble their money away. That's not a righteous act. And then they want a handout because they just waste their money. So the point is in the Bible, the favour of God is not measured by how much you have or don't have. That's the wrong measuring stick. If you just grasp your little favourite scriptures, you can make the Bible say whatever you want. But if we read it in its full context, the width and the breadth of the Word of God, we see that God does not judge your righteousness based on what you have. He sees your heart. And so the blessing or favour of God is seen more in terms of righteous versus unrighteous as opposed to rich versus poor. And righteousness has to do with how do you get what you have and what do you do with what you have? I told you, if it can't be simplified, it's because we don't know it yet. To, to me, true righteousness is, how did you get it? And what are you doing with it? If you want to be righteous, the money you get, do it a godly, get it a godly way. Don't cheat on your taxes. Don't, don't steal. Don't rob. Don't sell drugs. Help old ladies across the road. <laughs> And then do the right thing with it. You got it? That's myth number four. Myth number five, we've got seven. Christians shouldn't concern themselves with money. I love that. It sounds so good. It sounds so noble. Oh, it sounds so spiritual. I mean, just think about it. I just feel better about myself. Sorry. I don't concern myself with money. I just feel better about myself. Just, just, just say it to the person next to you. Go on. I bet you feel better about yourself. Just say it. Go on. I don't concern myself with money. I know it sounds cool and it sounds spiritual. I just don't know how real it is. I believe the truth is that we should concern ourselves with money. Because it's a big part of our lives. Unless, of course, you fall into the smallest percent of people that I know and don't plan on eating, drinking or wearing clothes anytime soon. <laughs> Anyone here who's planning on being the skinny, naked, withdrawn, dehydrated person? If you're not, then there's a good chance you need to concern yourself with money because it's going to take some money to... Fix that. Here's the point. There's a big difference between being concerned and being obsessed with money. So there's nothing wrong to like nice things. The question you need to ask yourself is this. Do you have money or does money have you? That's a question you need to ask yourself regularly. Like Seth said this morning, he would have said of himself, I don't love money. 
But when he started assessing his life, there's many times and many aspects of his life where he actually does love money. And that's not a sin in and of itself. It's about recognising it and making the adjustment. And I think this is a good question for us to ask ourselves on a regular basis. Do you have money or does money have you? Do your possessions possess you? See, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus told the rich young ruler to go away and sell everything. Luke 18 verse 22, Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing, mate. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became sad because he was a man of great wealth. Here's the problem. It's not so much that the rich young man had wealth. More to the point, wealth had the rich young man and Jesus knew it. And that's why he gave some advice to this young man. This scripture was to one man. It wasn't to every Christian who's got money, give it all away. Jesus discerned the heart, spoke into his heart and exposed something. What I love about the Bible, it's not a one size fits all. Yes, there are are certain things that are, are for everyone, but there's lots that are for someone, not everyone. And this, was advice given to a man that was gripped with the love of money. And to break that, he says, give it all away. It wasn't something he said to the church and every believer. See, I love that about Christianity. It's not a bunch of rules of what to do and not to do. It's about a relationship. And the more you get to know Jesus, the more you'll come in to know His heart on every and any situation and you'll be able to respond accordingly. Myth number six, I'll start giving when I have more money. Again, it's brilliant. It's a a great argument. It's just not true because it goes against Scripture and it goes against reality. Research shows that the more money a person makes, the less likely he or she is to give or tithe. If you are not giving or tithing now, chances are you won't do it later. In Luke chapter 16, verse 10, it says, if you are faithful with the little you have, then and only then you'll be faithful with much. Jesus never said, don't worry about the little, wait till you've got lots and then. He said, no, if you're not faithful now, you will not be faithful later. So those kids here that are getting pocket money, I would encourage every parent to encourage their kids to give to God out of what they receive. And if they're getting a dollar pocket money a week or $10, take a tenth of that and and, and sow it back. Give something back. It may not pay off our building. It may not pay for some of the things we want, but you'll be putting something and instilling something in them. What I love about our young kids growing up in this environment is that this is normal. Talking about these things are normal. Mitchie said on the way down, he said, I don't get it, Dad. Why, why is money such a hard subject to talk about? Thought, well, isn't it fantastic? We've got a younger generation that are growing up and this is all they know. This is fantastic. So let's not be fooled. A fact is that the so-called poor folk with incomes less than 25,000 give more on a percentage basis than those that earn over 100,000. So don't ever think that when I get 100,000, when I get 200,000, then I'll say, you won't. 
If you don't give when you're earning under 25,000, there's a good chance you won't give when you get over 100,000. It's hard to give a lot when you haven't learned to give a little. If you haven't learned to give a smile, come on, smile. 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 Turn to the person next to you and smile. Smile. Come on, smile. Come on, give away a smile, you tight lot. My granddad, who I never ever got the uh, privilege of meeting, and I only heard this story through my dad. He said, my, your granddad, he used to look at the church and say, the church is so miserable, it wouldn't even give you the drippings of their nose. I thought, oh, I wish I'd met him. I wish I'd met him. I like that. It's true. Some people are so stingy. In Proverbs 11, verse 24, it says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger, and it's the world of the stingy that gets smaller and smaller. Contrary to popular belief, the Bible says, A generous man will prosper, not vice versa. If you want to prosper, be generous. Don't, it doesn't say a prosperous man will be generous. It says a generous man will prosper. And my final myth today, and there's a whole stack more. You enjoyed this so far? Thank you. There's one man switched on. I like that. It's good. Myth number seven. Once I give my tithe, oh, God will meet all my needs. Can I just say in response to that, don't bank on it? I know a lot of people who tithe and their life's a mess. And they do put on the American accent and they do claim scriptures. and That's cool. But here's, here's the real deal. If you tithe but waste the rest of your money, you'll live in need. You know the saying, don't suffer fools? God doesn't suffer fools. You can't treat tithing or any biblical principle as a rabbit's foot. My lucky charm. I'm going to pull out my lucky charm. Tithing. And hang everything on the rabbit's foot. And then blame the church as to why your life's fallen apart because you were useless at managing the rest of your money. That's not God's fault. That's not the church's fault. That has something more to do with you and your lack of ability to manage money. And so tithing in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean that you'll be blessed. Because giving to God is not a replacement for good money management. See, the problem with many Christians, I've said many times before, is that they make every one of their problems in life a spiritual one. And so when they need a job, they pray about it instead of going for an interview. I'm like, if, you, if you want a job, wash your hair. Oh, hang on, get out of bed. Let's keep it real practical. Hang on, go to bed early the night before. Let's start there. 
get up early enough to have a shower, to put on a nice set of clothes, to present well to a guy who, and, and try to convince the guy that you're standing before that you actually want this job and that you're serious and stop just praying about it. Because not every problem that you'll face in life is a spiritual one. Granted, there are many areas that are spiritual issues. But there are many other issues that are relational issues and mental issues and financial issues. And what I love about Jesus, as much as anything else, is that he was well-rounded. They said of Jesus, wow, he's a guy who did all things well. I love that. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, my kids know where I'm going with this, but it says of Jesus that he grew. I love that. Oh, I wish Christians everywhere just grow up. I wish they'd just grow up. Oh, it's my daily prayer. God, help us to grow up. Paul says, when I was a child, I reasoned like a child. I spoke like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. I grew up. Jesus grew up. And he grew, not just in one area. You go to the gym. You watch all these guys going to the gym now because summer's coming and they're working on their chest and their biceps. I mean, that's fine. But dude, you can't keep wearing your tracksuit pants all summer. It's getting too hot for that dude. Your lack of training on your legs is going to be exposed come summer. I always remember as a young kid, I said, Dad, I want to get into bodybuilding. I want to get into weightlifting. I saw how it benefited Dad. He said, on one condition, son, you work the whole body, not just your chest and arms. Balance. The church is a body. Jesus is a bodybuilder. And he wants big guns and big legs and big calves and great. He wants the whole body to grow up. And Jesus grew in favour with God spiritually. He grew in favour with man relationally and socially. He grew in stature. It means he grew physically. And he grew in wisdom. He grew mentally. He grew emotionally. Every aspect of his being grew. And it's our desire and it's our heart as a church that we would grow up and that we'd become whole, that we'd become like Jesus, that we would know how to pray and that we'd know how to be a husband or a wife or we'd know how to raise kids, we'd know how to manage money. Just to make church one aspect is to do you a disservice. It really is. And so tithing, I believe, is a biblical principle. I'm going to look at that in two weeks' time because Grant and Sue are going to be with us next week. But we're going to look at that next Sunday morning. But tithing alone won't bless you or won't help you. As our musicians come, I want to close with this thought. That Christianity doesn't hinge on just one thing. It's a series of lots of different things done over the duration of your life. That's how you grow up. It's tithing. 
It's saying sorry when you're wrong. It's being faithful at work, even when your boss isn't watching. It's getting to church regularly. It's making sure you don't neglect your kids. It's making sure you don't neglect your husband or your wife. Which one is it, Tony? No, which one is it? Okay, which one? It's all of them. For the duration of your life. That's Christianity. And so if you have a favourite scripture, God bless you, that's fantastic. But you can't hang your whole faith on one scripture. Your one scripture is going to let you down. It's going to lead you astray. Because one scripture is not enough. I'll be the head and not the tail. That's great. But if your theology stops there, what about when you are at the tail end of things? Jesus was not at the head when he was on the cross. But his theology could cope with pain. His theology was big enough to embrace suffering. His theology was big enough to embrace seemingly loss. Christianity is not always about winning. It's not always about being at the top. It's not always about having. It's not always about being in the best car. Can your theology handle the riches and poverty? Can it handle health and sickness? Can your theology handle a God that saves and heals and raises the dead and yet others die with no resurrection? We see in Acts chapter 12 that Peter is miraculously released from jail. I mean, it was a phenomenal story. Not even Peter himself believed it. He thought he was dreaming. These angels lead him all the way out of the prison. And he's like, oh, it's really happening. He thought he was dreaming. God, it's awesome. And so people preach, where's your faith? If you had faith, you'd be delivered in Jesus' Name. Well, that's cool. But that's to overlook what else happened in that chapter. The very same chapter that people quote for miracles. You have to overlook a guy by the name of James, who in the very same chapter, from the very same jail that Peter was released from, he died, got put to death. No angels, no miraculous release, no finding himself out in the middle of nowhere, pinching himself, can't believe it. No, just dead. And God's at the head of it all, in absolute control. How big is your God and how big is your understanding of this God? Let's put our little favourite verses away. Little rabbit's feet. Hang everything on tithing. I would be doing you a service to say, if you give, you'll be blessed. You may go through the biggest pain in your life giving, but will you do it anyway? Your finances may suffer dramatically as a result of giving. Will you do it anyway? That's Christianity. Because God knows us better than we know ourselves and He knows what we need. 
hey, if God had given me all this in our first year, I'm sure I'd be off the rails. I don't think I could have handled it. I reckon if God gave me all this in my first year, I'd be walking around saying, oh, church planning, I'm the man. But in the midst of praying, in the midst of waiting, in the midst of believing, in the midst of crying out to Him, one person. But as that one person came, two people left. And God did something in me over the years. And I started to have appreciation for the ones. I said, God, I'm going to love the ones. I said, oh, you're growing up. It's not all about you and your ego. It's not all about numbers. Ah, it's about people. He's getting it. Every preacher thinks they're going to set the world on fire when they first start. Every young punk of a businessman thinks they're going to... And God loves us enough not to give it to us all at once. I'm so glad. The greatest thing God gave me is my failures, is, is the slowness of the journey. That's the greatest thing He's given me. Because it's kept me well grounded. Life has not the living stuffing out of me. But I found Jesus to be more real than anything before. And I'd much rather have that Christianity than this rabbit's foot Christianity that hangs everything on one scripture. Let's just say he blesses you for 10 years. Or 20 years or 30 years. But what happens when, when failure comes your way or poverty comes your way or you find yourself without? What then? Is your understanding like Paul's big enough to say, I know what it is to have plenty. I know what it is to have nothing. But the most important thing is Christ. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen and God bless.